0: Well hi and uh, welcome to another podcast, this is Ryan, Senior Pastor of uh, C3 People, and today I'm very pleased to have a mate, uh, Damien Metcalf, with me. Hey there. How are you buddy? Yeah, good. Great to have you with us. Hey, uh, firstly, because I just think, you know, it's, uh, what is it, Wednesday, it's hump day, you I pick. think it's good to make your brain hurt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do for a work, family as well, marriage, right. kids, just let everyone know a little yeah. bit about who you are.
1: So I'm a South African born um, Yeah, you are. designer, I suppose, like my background <laughs> is in design. I am married to the lovely Phoebe Metcalf and have two wonderful boys, uh, Leo is five and Griffin is three. Um, yeah, and... I Two firecrackers, I was, right? Oh, man, they're, they're super full on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just super, super high energy. Um, we actually went on a flight last night, and it was just incredibly good fun, um, <laughs> as any parent would know. Um, but yeah, so work-wise, what do I do? I, I guess, as I said, I'm kind of a designer, or at least that's what I studied. Um, I started out in branding, and then somehow, just because I like... I like solving problems and I like figuring stuff out and I constantly like to learn new things. Um, I kind of wound up doing a bit of development and front end development and things like that. And then I guess because of that, I started building products and figuring out how to make digital products and wound up in the startup space. I worked for um, a few different companies, ran my own companies and then also worked for a company that helped build other startups. Um, and we helped kind of teach them how to build and grow their own businesses, how to figure out where was the right place to direct their focus and their attention in order to actually um, be able to scale their business quickly and effectively without with avoiding the risk of failure There you go. as starting, much as you can.
0: It's starting to hurt already. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Um, <laughs> and
1: <laughs> out of that, I guess I kind of uh, got to know a few people and now I currently... Um, I work as the head of design for a company that does quantum control solutions. Um, So, basically, what that is, is it's a company that effectively develops algorithms that help fix the error that occurs on atomic particles that exist in quantum systems. So, that could be like a quantum computer, it could be any number of quantum systems, but basically, what i do is i take the really intense um, science that i don't understand because i didn't even pass algebra at school (laughs) Um, and i somehow turn that into a usable product with my team that we can then actually sell to customers
0: so you can take it to market somehow yeah that's right
1: yeah yeah it's it's like having worked in a lot of startups normally it's it's not an easy process but it's it's a fairly understand like it's fairly logical because the thing that you're designing for or that you're trying to solve is fairly well known yeah. like maybe it's a it's an app for your phone that helps you find a cool outfit or something i don't know that's yeah. a, a really easy example but the customer is easy the problem is easy and the solution is relatively easy there's some technology challenges but it's relatively easy when you get into quantum technology it's an entirely different ball game cuz there's very few customers And the actual technology itself is still, in some ways, theoretical. Yeah, right. So what I mean by that is if you read the newspapers and things like that, you'll know that um, quantum computing is slightly usable, like it's kind of there. We know that we can push data to atomic particles. We can store data on atoms. Um, That is proven what we are unable to do is keep those atoms usable. Yeah, right. um, and without going too much into it, basically atoms can exist in a state of true, false, and then a state which we know is superposition, which is somewhere in the middle. Um, and I had it described to me one day as like a multi-dimensional state that allows us to access multiple dimensions of um, possibilities at once. Um, yeah. I don't get it. I don't fully understand it. I don't think I ever will. Um, But this is what they're doing. Um, And the outcome of that is that basically we get incredibly advanced um, computational power that would allow us to do some pretty insane stuff in the future.
0: It's extraordinary. Um, Now I've got to ask, did you, as a little boy, think I want to be part of uh, developing or taking <laughs> to market this quantum no, like, computing solution. What What did you dream about? What did I what dream about? What did you want about? to be as a what
1: kid? What did I want to be? For the time, I wanted to be a game ranger. Um, oh, I yeah. thought that would be pretty cool. Um, and then I think I kind of flicked on to... Being an artist, that one seemed to stick with me for a long time. I really just wanted to paint. I love painting, um, okay, and I so love creating stuff.
0: From, maybe,
1: yeah. I, I yeah. guess like I grew up with a pencil in my hand, and I just drew and painted and created. And I sucked at anything mathematical or English based. And I just wanted to make stuff, um, which I guess is really a foundation, not for building products or even painting. It's just a, a foundation for curiosity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I'm a very curious person, I like to understand what makes something work, yeah. I like to understand why it doesn't work, and then I like to try and make it work.
0: Wow. Um, now you, you said Game Ranger. Yeah. Is that purely because, <laughs> now tell us a little bit about your upbringing, I know just a little bit, but you, yeah. you are South African born, but you spent most of your time in Central Africa, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. So I was born in Um uh, the beautiful Mpangani. I went back there like four years ago to rediscover my roots and show my wife where I came from. Yeah. And we parked up outside the hospital where I was born and my wife looked at it and she was like, this is terrible. (laughs) Like really, really terrible.
0: (laughs) A bit like the hood.
1: Just super, yeah, just like the hood, but on a a level that you wouldn't find in Australia.
0: Where is that in your Capital City? So it's
1: like, it's by Durban. So the closest place is Durban. Usually I'll say I'm... Oh,
0: the the coast and uh, yeah, that's uh, right. Durban is great. So, Um, so you grew you you were born there, and then you went to yeah. I moved to
1: I moved to Malawi when I was six years old. My dad was managing the Carlsberg factory up there, so they moved up there as expats for I think it was six six ish six and a half ish years. Wow. Um, I spent time there, and I loved it. It was, I think, like as a child, it was it was the best upbringing I could have had. Um, we had the gardeners and maids, which that's not the part I'm focusing on, but those people, I spent a lot of time with them and they taught me a lot about life in the village and life in tribes and, um, yeah, even stuff like, I can remember my gardener teaching us how to make like proper lethal bow and arrows and spears Uh and, and how to hunt stuff. And we would go out and we had a big bit of land Kind of right next to one of these factories and we could go out there and we would pretend to hunt and stuff like that um and it was it was back like africa's changed a lot now i i have um i've got a lot of pride for where i think parts of africa are going now yeah um, but back then it was very basic like just outside of where we lived it was a lot of mud huts and that sort of stuff and a lot a lot of the time like if we drove up malawi has this big lake and if you drive up towards the lake, um, you pass a lot of villages. But often, like, European people wouldn't have been passed there in maybe five years. So if you got children under five, they literally would never have seen a white person. Whoa. So we would drive up and we would have all up. Like, my mom would sew clothes. Yeah. And we would take the clothes up to the villages. But where, as soon as we'd get out the car, like, all these lovely little children would come running out and be like, hello, hello, hello. White you know, people. Like, yeah, shouting. And the then they're just like... <laughs> start screaming and run back to their parents because they'd yes. never seen a white person before. <laughs> Terrified. Um, and that was, like, it was just a lovely way to grow up. And I I guess my parents were not Christian, but they yeah. had a really good way of teaching us an appreciation for, just for that life. For, you know, like... For nature and For nature and people. Like, we... Malawi is one of the poorest countries in Africa. And we lived a very... Um fortunate lifestyle like we were paid by carlsberg to be there and had the ability to go on a holiday every year wherever we wanted and things like that and my parents partied a lot and they lived a very extravagant life yeah but they always made sure that we as children appreciated exactly what we had because literally next to our house there were people that had nothing like i don't even know if there's a part of australia we could imagine the amount of poverty Wow. Like I can remember just driving down the road and you'd pass a dead body in the road and it's someone that may have been hit by a car mm. and no, you wouldn't stop and you don't stop because if you got out, those people might think that you were the one that hit them. Wow. And then literally they would stone you back then. Women in Malawi would get stoned for wearing a shirt, a skirt that was too small. Wow. Like it was, it was intense in that sense.
0: Was it, was it a, a, a good upbringing then? As...
1: Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah like I can remember standing at one of the fuel stations and there was a guy who had um, some form of mental illness or something like that Um, and I I thought it was funny because he was dancing there singing as a child I thought he was just having a joke and having a laugh and I thought he was funny and I guess in my naivety as a child I was laughing at him and I can remember my mom just kind of talking to me about what was actually going on and how he, what what had actually happened to him and, and explaining that situation. And I guess there's an empathy that I developed because of those situations. Yeah. Because every day was kind of, there was some level of confrontation around um, how fortunate we were, the stuff that we had, um, safety, you know, that was a big, big thing. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a very simple lifestyle yeah um, not a lot you couldn't just go out and get whatever you wanted there was no Uber Eats you know <laughs> there's nothing like there's just nothing so you literally like we would go to South Africa every six months and do some shopping wow you don't do you don't go down to the shops and buy your clothes that was not possible. so there's no uh, Kmart yeah that's right you, get, um, you get, get everything but it meant but as a child I just wore shorts no shoes no shirt and I just literally barefoot time barefoot the yeah. plains of Africa yeah that's right yeah
0: you went to school there then.
1: Yeah, I went to a school called Phoenix, um, which was
0: a like an ex- expat kind of school. Or? It
1: kind of was,
0: yeah.
1: um, like partly. Yeah, yeah. there were some expats there, and there were some local people that I mm-hmm. suppose came from more fortunate families. Um, but it was a it was a fun school. I I never really liked school, no matter what. But is that it right? It was a fun school. Yeah.
0: I mean, again, going back to what you do now, you, you said before that you struggled with like what, what algebra and English. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Sc- school just wasn't interesting or was it difficult?
1: No, like I liked the social aspect of school yeah. um, and I liked art class. Um, but as far as English and algebra, I only found out like two weeks before my final exam of school that I had dyslexia as well as some other visual learning disability that basically I just can't interpret a story. Wow. Whereas I if I was to write you a story, it wouldn't make sense to you, but it would yeah. be perfect sensible to me.
0: Um, That's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah,
1: but I didn't know that, so I went through my whole school thinking I just sucked because I sucked, not because actually I had some
0: learning Did you issues. you actually believe that about yourself? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I thought I was just dumb when it came to English. Um, and for me, and I say this... I've said this to my wife and I, I even had like a school interview the other day because my son's about to go to school and I was chatting to the principal and I said like, I literally, like once school finished for me, it was like life began. It was like, hey, I'm not stupid. Really? You know, because actually the world didn't function like wow. that. Um,
0: yeah, anyway, that's... But you, you made it through, obviously. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, that's right. <laughs> so you lived there like until you're 12 and then where did you go from there? So from there we
1: went to Zimbabwe. Um, My parents are Zimbabwean, or British Zimbabwean, I'd say. Um, Their parents are from England, Um, but they were born in Zimbabwe. And my dad always wanted to raise his family in Zimbabwe. It's like any Australian, you know, you want to bring your children back here, raise them where you grew up. Yeah. My dad really wanted that for us. Um, It just so
0: happened that... What was Zimbabwe like? Much different? Uh,
1: It's... (laughs) I have very mixed emotions about Zimbabwe. Um, I'd really loved life in Malawi and moving to Zimbabwe for me was a bit like, um, it was a really bad move. Mm. I think like when you talk about moving your children, there's moments where it's okay. Like my brother didn't mind it at all, but for me, I felt like I was ripped out of my social environment. Mm. And I was put into this like totally, totally different environment. Zimbabwe felt like a really, jump up in terms of technology like it was mm. it was a big city things weren't as simple it, it really wasn't but yeah. when you come from like almost a village in Malawi to Zimbabwe it just was more intense wow on top of that the political environment of Zimbabwe at the time
0: was was terrible yeah cause it was what, like you would have been there in the 90s yeah like kind of 99
1: 2000 2001 2002 oh, that gosh. sort of period so right yeah, at the heart of Mugabe's um fun um and that really had a big impact on our family because my dad, he got a job working for a Danish company. And as part of what Mugabe was doing where he took the farms, mm. it actually, he actually took Danish farms as the first farms he ever took. Is that right? After promising the Danes that he would never touch their farms in some agreements that they had. And as part of that, one of the Danish ministers went back to Denmark and said, if you've got businesses or investments in Zimbabwe, you must liquidate them because you're going to lose out on all your... Your money, your investments are going to go south. So the company my dad worked for, which was this um, Danish manufacturing company called Fraze, they liquidated their offices in Zimbabwe and didn't pay off anybody. So they took the product that had been created, because they built like faucets and taps and stuff like that. Um, They took the product, never paid for the product, and then never paid the employees out either. Oh... Um, Including my father. Um, So it wasn't like he got paid and the local workers didn't. My dad didn't get paid as well. But the result of it was the workers thought my dad was to blame. Because the way it would work, if you imagine here we hire purchase stuff, or some people hire purchase stuff, Mm. um, and you need to make your repayments. But if you default on those payments, there's some grace period for you. Yeah. But if you are in a village in Africa, there's a similar thing. You can hire purchase product. And most people would like their whole village house is higher purchased. Wow. Except the day that it was announced that Frey's liquidated in the papers, the collectors went to every one of their houses and took all of their stuff. Including everything. Dollars. And Like not ours because we, we, were, we were very fortunate in that respect. Also, yeah. we didn't hire purchase stuff. Um, uh, I'm talking more about the village people that, oh, that had worked shivers. for this company. Um, like
0: the, yeah, they the, literally, yeah, the, the angst that that would have caused you as a family feeling responsible for that in well, some way. It,
1: it got heavier because, so they all went home, found their stuff was gone. Yeah. They thought the person to blame was my father. Oh. So they came to work the next day. Um, do you know what a knob is? No. A knob is like. It's like the root of a tree, like where the knot of the tree is. Oh, yeah. And they harden it, and it's used for cracking skulls.
0: Okay. I have um, seen, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. They, they came to work with those, and pangas, which are like large machetes, um, walked into my dad's office, about 40 of them, and said, if you don't pay us right now, we're going to kill you. Oh, gosh. Um So my dad, my dad's a, he's a very calm person when stuff goes south. Yeah. Yeah. He handles it incredibly well. I'd say that my dad actually shines at moments like that. It's
0: interesting, isn't it?
1: Um, and he ended up being able to kind of calm down a bit. He said he would call the company in Denmark. He called them up, said, you got to pay these people. What you've done is not fair. My dad was totally on this side. Um, and Denmark basically said to him, it's not our problem. And we don't really care if these people are going to deal with you the way they're going to deal with you
0: you need to fix it. Wow. How did, how did you respond as a child? Were you fearful then? or?
1: Well, I was at home and my dad got, we just got a call. My dad said, I'm probably not going to come home today. Um, and it was like, well, okay. Um, and that was the first time it actually happened three times. Oh. Um, and on the third time they actually presented my dad with photos of my brother, myself, my sister and my mom and said, we know where they all live, where they go to school. We know their habits and we will kill them. If you do not pay us, Um, unbeknownst, like at a separate, at that same time, I didn't know that that was going on, but I'd come home from school the one day as I did, I kind of bumped school quite a lot at the time. Um, I would just walk out. I got to the point where I knew the security guards really well. Um, and I, we lived quite close. I was walking home and we lived in a gated community which had security guards. Um, It's oddly the same community that Mugabe lived Mugabe's kind of people lived in. Um, And we went, so I went through the security gate and as I went through the security gate where the guards were, there was a guy standing there and he was holding a knife, kind of picking his teeth with the knife. And he came up to me waving the knife at me, telling me about how he was going to kill me and gut me and then how he was going to rape my little sister. And all the while the people that were meant to be protecting us the security guards were laughing at me And I was like 14 And I remember just this like I didn't understand where this had come from why this guy was there. What was going on? I just knew I needed to get out of there because he was totally serious. It wasn't like it was a joke. He was being completely serious Yeah, i'd had knives pulled on me before at other times. Um, that's just life in africa. Yeah, but this time it was it was pretty intense, um, and then eat like a few round about the same period, I had a someone throw their arm through my house window with a knife, and it like slashing around in front of my face mm. while I was on the couch. Literally, like I was here, the knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just trying to get me, but unable because of the security bars. Um, how how did you
0: manage all this as a young kid? Then were you because that can instill fear. I mean. Did you did you know God at this point? Was
1: it... No. Well, so I mean, God comes into it in a in a slightly different way. Um, to talk to the fear part, I don't think it produced fear. Yeah. Um, because I just put it down to this is life in Africa, which okay. is.
0: That was your rationale. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which actually has a totally negative thing. Like we shouldn't expect that of life in Africa. Mm. We should expect life to improve and get better in Africa. Not expect that the the kind of norm should be violence and terror yeah that should not be the norm however that was the norm at the time in zimbabwe Um, my dad ended up being able to escape uh, and on his way home he the guy who was actually liquidating the company was abducted taken to PF that day and tortured for the whole weekend and at the end of that they extracted two hundred and forty thousand dollars from him and if it wasn't for the fact that my dad got the call early to and and managed to convince the people to let him go, um, that would have been him. So my that was that's ultimately what led us to leave Zimbabwe. So when, it's not a great time in my life. I don't have great memories of Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, but where does God fit into it? So I guess like coming back to Malawi. No, back further. When I was a child, like, I must have been about five. My parents thought, we need to teach our children about religion. Mm. And they did. They taught us, like, the most religious version that you could probably teach us. And they did that by, like, in goodwill. My parents weren't Christians, right? They just Mm. thought they needed to give us some kind of chance at deciding. And five was the way. I don't I don't quite know what happened there. Maybe they were trying to sort some stuff, stuff out. Yeah. But I remember going to this really intense Anglican service where this dude in a coat and a big white beard was standing up the front of the church and he went, Oh my Lord And my brother and I just looked at each other and at five, and he would have been seven and a half, we just went, This is such a joke. Yeah. And we literally like we got in the door, we turned around, went out and I decided from that point on that God was a joke, that Christians were a joke, and there was no point to it all. At five, wow. At five. Yeah. Um, so all that to say, like, I think there's a lesson in that, and that is that the nonsense that we can sometimes talk in church can have negative effects. Like, you mm. don't need to fake anything. God mm. is real. He's here and we can be normal about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, because a five-year-old can pick it up. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so we moved off to Zimbabwe, to Malawi, and I guess I I started having really bad nightmares,
0: Um,
1: like really bad, Um, and like pretty realistic as well. Uh, I won't go too much into them, but I also at the same time got quite depressed, Uh, very depressed, Um, and I think I'd always grown up, I'd always had this sense that We're not just here because some big explosion happened and we just came. Mm -hmm. That's a nonsense thing to me. Like, I was just in Fiji this week. Have you ever put your head down in the water and looked at the reef? Yeah. Like, all that by a click of a finger, that's literally trillions and trillions and trillions of maybes it could happen. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So, for me, that just never stuck. What did stick was something made us, but I was never going to let it be the Christian God. Yeah. I didn't want it to be the Christian God, um, and I really had a strong feeling about that. But I guess as I the more depressed I came, the more I thought there had to be something that was the creator of all of this. Yeah. Um. So I started. I knew a lot of Muslims at the time. Malawi has a lot of Muslims living there. So I thought I'm going to check out Islam. So I did. Um, the internet had kind of come about sort of, you know, it might take like 45 minutes just to access it. But I had started researching Islam. Um, after a point I decided that didn't work for me. So I thought I'll try Buddhism. So I looked into Buddhism. I researched Buddhism and bear in mind now I'm probably like nine, 10. So I'm a 10 year old. I literally like, I guess I was a very spiritually aware young man and I just wanted to understand The meaning of everything. Like I said, I like to solve problems. I like to answer questions. and I just wanted to know what made everything and who made me, Mm. but I wouldn't let it be God. So I literally went to everything to the extreme that once I'd gone through quite a few different religions, I wound up going, there has to be the Christian God, Mm. but I don't want to follow him. Mm. So I started researching Satanism and started going down that path of if I don't want to, if I know that he's the thing I can't run from, then I'm just going to oppose him outright.
0: Um,
1: And that was my, (laughs) I don't know why. So that was my logic. And lo and behold, I got more and more depressed, as you would probably do.
0: Um, It's a bit sad and dark. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: right. You know, like, um, you kind of fuel darkness with darkness. It's going to produce darkness. Darkness. Um, So I got more and more depressed. Um, I did. I was never like a bad self-harmer, but I, I could like I definitely at times tried the whole self-harm thing. Every now and then, I would like try and scratch, and I don't know, I don't know stuff like that. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, we. Sorry, I'm just trying to. When
0: did you meet Jesus? And when was when Je- did I meet Jesus? When did Jesus yeah. become real?
1: So that's that's right. That is um. When did Jesus become real? Well, Jesus became real before I became a Satanist, I'd say. However, I knew this kid named Daniel Gui, who was this Malaysian boy. um, And he went to church. I knew he went to church. I knew nothing more than that about him. I just knew he went to church. We were good friends, but I didn't know anything about his church. And I never even asked him about his church. I just remember getting to the point where Satanism wasn't working for me. Yeah. <laughs> Should have there a lot quicker. It, yeah. um, So I remember one day sitting in the back of the car, and I was, I knew I had to make a decision because by now I've become quite suicidal in my thinking. Wow. Um, and that, that's actually a large story through my life. Um, but I became quite suicidal, and it was really playing on my mind a lot. And I knew I needed to figure this out. And I needed to ask my mom if she would take me to church because this was like the last kind of answer for me Yeah, but I didn't really want to ask my parents because they had kind of now they were living this really heavy party lifestyle Yeah Um, but I thought what the heck I will do it. So I asked my mom in the back of the car. I said, hey mom By chance, um, would you take me to church? And she was like, what did you say? <laughs> and I was like, would you take me to church? And she was like, seriously? I was like, yeah She was like, wow, because I was just wondering if somebody would take me to church. (laughs) Um, Because I feel like I need to go to church. No way. And I was like, wow, okay, let's go to Daniel's church. So we did. That Sunday, we snuck out. We didn't tell my dad. We didn't tell my brother. My sister was too young to to be told anything. She was a baby still. Um, And we went to church together and hated it. Really we hated, it. yeah it was so bad it was it was bad
0: it wasn't the part of vibes no no, no. <laughs> no it was
1: it was it was just a bad experience yeah. um, but what we did do is we did decide that we were going to keep trying, and we knew this um, missionary that had come out um, mark vis mark fisser,
0: yeah.
1: um, an incredible guy who i guess like you got to imagine my dad he was a a typical south african zimbabwean man he worked in the brewing industry he was self-made man um, he's able to yeah. like stand up to do his nob colleagues and stuff right yeah. like he's he's a, a good hardy man yeah and he was not exactly going to sit down with a weak yeah pastor or something like that like yeah, somebody yeah. who's just so holier than that yeah mark fisser on the other hand he was like flip-flops and shorts and would drink a beer and he was just a normal guy who loved Jesus.
0: Wow.
1: Um, so we started going to his church, my mom and I, and thought this is, this is better. Like we can handle this. We didn't, get to kn- we didn't commit at that point. Uh, but we were going and we were learning. Um, and I think that that's, a, that's an important part of getting to know Jesus is that it's not about rushing to get to know Jesus. Jesus yeah. has come as you are. Yeah. Like there's a whole journey that you can go on. You don't need Love to that. instantly meet Jesus. Yeah. You just need to go step by step. Get yeah. to know him, you know um, he wants to romance you, and I think a lot of a lot of like it actually took my family a year, year and a half to get to the point where we committed our lives to Jesus, but we were being wooed by Jesus the entire time. Wow, um,
0: you say your whole family then
1: yeah, so I'll get to that it's, yeah. it's, it's good um, I, I always like this part of the story, yeah, um, so we started going to Mark Fisser's Church, and Mark Fisser had a daughter named Karen. And she was quite a looker. And my brother, who was older, was in the same year at school. And I said to him, hey, Stu, you know that girl, Karen? She, she's the daughter of the pastor whose church we've been going to. Yeah. He was like, oh, wow, really? Yeah. I was like, yeah, maybe you could, you know, come to church and put the moves on her. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, cool. So he started coming to church um, to hit on the pastor's daughter. Um, and then my... my... That's, the, that's the opposite
0: of flirt to convert. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So then my dad, he started coming along. Yeah. Uh and my sister, of course, she was too young, so she just had to come along. So then we all started going to church. Um and we were all just kind of figuring it out on our own, I suppose, as well. Um and that was around about the time that we actually left to go to Zimbabwe. Um so when we got to Zimbabwe things got a lot more intense. I got a lot more depressed. I would say Finding Jesus did not cure my depression. Yeah. That came after. That's part of the like, come as you are. Yeah. And you will be changed as you become more. The transformation. Right? Ah. Um, As you step into God more and more, you become more like Christ. Not saying that I became more like Christ. Yeah. But you know, like more and more, He rubs off on you.
0: That is the journey, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. And I love that. That was Jesus. He was the friend of sinners. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> Broken right. Broken people. They didn't have it together. Yeah. yeah. Um, so
1: we then went to Zimbabwe. Um, and through a series of events, my brother and I started going to this camp that was out in Zambia. So one weekend we were out at Zambia and we were literally like sliding down 30 meter slides and just having a great time. But they also had this Christian component to the, to the camp. Um, and the one Sunday they did the whole... Do you want to give your life to Jesus? And by now, we've been going to church like a year and a half or something. So we'd heard it a few times. It wasn't like we were in any rush to raise our hands and yes, us. But we sat there that Sunday. And I guess, I don't know, like, it wasn't a particularly good altar call message. But my brother and I, we just looked at each other and said, right. It's time. What do you think? Yeah. Do you think we should commit to this? Do you think it's legit? Or do you think we should take a pass. And we had this discussion, like we're sitting front row because we didn't realize it was an altar call. Um, And we just had this discussion, the two of us, and we said, no, rationally, we want to give it a go. So we did. We committed right there. And I suppose like for me, it was a commitment of, like for, for both of us actually, that commitment was literally like, we've had enough time to get to know Jesus. Yeah. Do we like him? Yeah. And if so, let's just commit. And that was it. It was never like, Kind of maybe. It was just, we're done. Um, Unbeknownst to us, that same Sunday, my mom had been sitting in church. My parents had been having a really rough time in their marriage for the past few years. And they had decided they were going to get a divorce. Um, And my mom sat in church. And she said to God, if you save my marriage, I will commit my whole life to you. And my mom's not the kind of person who wants to go up front of church. In fact, she will never do it she could have a broken leg and she will not go up for healing, yeah. right? Um, not because she doesn't believe God can't heal her leg. She just doesn't like going up front. Yeah,
0: the, the exposure part of it. That's there. right. Yeah.
1: But God said, come on, come up. Yeah. So she did. She went up front, gave her life to God. She went home. And that night, my parents, for the first time in years, were able to talk about aspects of their marriage that they'd never been able to talk about. Gosh, Literally wow. unpacked The issues that were existing um, and woke up not with a totally brand new relationship but they woke up with a brand new road for their relationship the road to recovery was paved for them um, and they walked into a new marriage Um, not only that my dad became a Christian we got home that Sunday uh, I think the Monday morning and we're like guess what we became Christians and they were like Guess what? So did we. like, oh, wow, cool. Claire, (laughs) you're a Christian.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Yeah, so... A a whole household literally saved.
1: Yeah, that's right. And not not just that, but the whole marriage that actually encapsulates that household was saved
0: as well. Um, I saw him the other week sitting in church.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: That's exactly right. It's incredible. Um, What would you say get fast forwarding a couple of years then i know you ended up in new zealand your whole family and you ended up being like a youth uh leader and Mm -hmm. that's where you met phoebe hey yeah yeah and uh how has god shaped your life in the way of understanding your purpose and significance you obviously said you you struggled with depression so you obviously arrived somewhere now where you said before, you, you understand... So I'll,
1: I'll talk to that. Like, yeah. I did say I'd struggled with depression and suicide has been a theme of my life. Mm. When I was 17... So when I was... This is, this is really intense um, and a lot of people will probably struggle with this. Uh, when I was 16, I'd been dating a girl for three years who was a Wiccan. Mm. Um, so I was a Christian dating girl who was a Wiccan. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, if you're out there, don't do that. Yeah. Um, anyway, I did. And I had had my youth pastor come up to me and say, you shouldn't do this. A lot of people had said to me, um, probably not a great idea, but they never outright said, don't. Yeah. And every time I kind of pushed back and said, no, nah, it's fine. You know, I'm going to convert her. She's going to come to know God.
0: Okay. You um, were going to float convert. Yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's, <laughs> dude, that's exactly
1: right. Um, so one night I was lying in my bed and sleeping yeah and all of a sudden there was this voice that came into my room and it said break up with her or else i will spit you out of my mouth and you will never return to me audible deep powerful hit me straight in my like in my core yeah and i knew it was god speaking to me it was god telling me that where i was getting to was not leading of, her to Christ wow but it was pulling me away from Christ and I needed Fine. to make a decision yeah. do I commit everything I have to God or do I walk away and that's what he was really saying he wasn't saying that I'm going to get rid of you
0: yeah but it's just that path leads to death and but that, you will if only... you
1: head down this road you're yeah. never coming back to me yeah and that to me was so devastating
0: yeah the idea
1: of that that I woke up the next morning I went and I broke up with her
0: Whoa.
1: Um, but fast forward two years later, I'm sitting in a room with this lady. She's a Christian counselor in Christchurch, an incredible woman. And we're just talking about life because I'd had a lot of, I just got to quite a dark space again. Um, and she said to me, she said, this may sound strange, but have you ever had any involvement with a Wiccan? And I said. What do you mean? Because we've not spoken about this relationship. Yeah. And she said, because I see a green band tied around your neck. And I said, what? I feel fine. Yeah. She said, no, there is a wicked band tied around your neck.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: it's bound you to her. And that's why you can't move on right now. Wow. You're not having any breakthrough with God. And I need to break that off you. And she literally just looked at me. There was no weirdness. This is how beautiful Jesus is. Yeah. It doesn't need to be weird. Spirits flee when God yeah. is around, right?
0: Tell it to go. Yeah, she yeah. just
1: said, get off. I cast you out and I cast you into the lake of fire. Wow. You will not return. And that was it. And I sat there on the chair. And I was like, oh, that was great. No <laughs> tingles. This yeah. is, you know, arguably quite boring. Yeah. Um, and we talked some more and that was the end of it. But then after the session finished, I walked out, got into my car, music blaring just felt this tiny little voice in the back of my head say, turn the music down. And yeah. I've, I'd spent quite a bit of time listening to, for the voice of God, and I was quite, I, I, I really want to hear the voice of God. Yeah. So when I hear that little thing, I don't care if it's nonsense, I'm going to test it. In.
0: yeah. I'm going to see if it is. Yeah.
1: So I turned the radio down, and as soon as it hit nothing,
0: yeah.
1: the presence of God just fell in the car in a way I've never felt the spirit of God ever fall before. Oh. Or even to this day, yeah. my whole car got thick and heavy. Yeah. And I just started to weep. And mm. I, I'm not a crier. I don't really cry. Yeah. Um, but this was like, snot not everywhere cry. It was uh-huh. like the deepest cry I've ever done. Yeah. And God just said, started downloading to me who he saw me as the man that he created. Gosh. Not the man that I was then, yeah. but the man that he made me to be and wanted me to be. And he started just talking to me about... It was, it was just one of those moments where God just started revealing what he wanted out of me, what God. he wanted me to be. Wow! And I remember just being so f- excited and so blown away and so confused that I just started driving. I was like, where am I going to go? I'm just going to drive to my parents. And they live on the other side of town or uh, the they worked was on the other side of town. So I drove half an hour and for half an hour, God just poured down into me yeah. and I just sobbed the whole way. And then as I parked up at my parents' house, and this is, this is where it's really weird, but also for me, it's one of the most defining moments. Um, I parked up my car outside my parents' house and as I was about to open my door, again, I just felt, the Holy Spirit say, I'm not done with you. I mm. thought, what's left to do? Yeah. I've given all the book as I can, you know, like yeah. I, every tear I could possibly cry has been done. Mm. I'm finished. And he said, no, I'm not done with you. That thing that you don't like to talk about, that thing that you are so afraid of that you hold on to, mm. it's time to deal with it. Oh, yeah. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the spirit of death that was on my life.
0: Wow. Oh. And he said that to me- That depression suicide thing. Yeah. He yeah. said
1: to me, so I'm sitting there in my car, my steering wheel, and the Holy Spirit just says to me, do what Gene did and cast it into the lake of fire. Yeah. And I've I've prayed for a lot of people with demons and things like that. Yeah. I'm quite accustomed to that yeah. by this point. But never have I ever been in that situation where God's saying, I want to deal with something on you. Yeah. Particularly like by myself in the car. And I was sitting there and I thought, well, I'll give it a go. Yeah. And I said, okay, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And no sooner had I done that, I began to cough and my throat swelled. And I could feel like this like regurgitation. And all of a sudden I did like this big cough. Yeah. And then there was this thing standing in front of me
0: yeah.
1: in the car, just there. It wasn't visible. I'm not talking about like something yeah. that you can see. But there was a presence, aware of it, a presence that yeah. I could feel. And it was looking back at me. And G- and the Holy Spirit said to me, "That is the spirit of death that has been on your life. Now cast it into the lake of fire and wow. be done with it." Wow. So I did, and from that day on, I've never had a thought of suicide again.
0: Gosh, wow. And it
1: literally, like, I got out of the car that day. Not only had God broken the tie of wicker on my life, he or the bound binding to somebody else. Not only, he had also um, restored who he saw me as, wow. and he cast off. The spirit of death on my life, um, and it was it all happened, I suppose, in a very organic and real way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just it was incredible. Like for me, that's one of the most defining moments of my life. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that set the tone for me to be able to, I guess, meet Phoebe. Yeah. And be able to have that relationship and do yeah. that well because I wasn't carrying around all this other baggage, and I can be. You know, like, yeah, Yeah. just
0: an incredible... Transformed. Yeah. That's incredible. And now you stand here today, (laughs) a family man, free, living out God's purpose.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: It's incredible.
1: I think um, from that, there's just this... Like, as I say, I've always been uh, aware that there's a spiritual realm. And for me... I guess my relationship with God is really born out of. Uh, I was dead, but now I'm found, and that yeah. that's really true for me. Yeah. I I I really feel like if it wasn't for God, I would be dead. Wow. And as such, my life is not my own. Mm. I want Christ in my life. I oh, yeah. I live for Christ. Yeah. I don't always get it wrong. That's that's not me being pious and saying I, I'm a, I'm so amazing. I get yeah. it very wrong at times. Mm. but I, I want every moment to be filled by Christ. Yeah. And, and I might, like, I don't mind having an argument sometimes with God. I actually mm. think it's quite healthy. Um, I, I find stuff that he does or that I feel quite frustrating at times, and I can have that argument, but I know that no matter how upset I may get, I will always return back because my life was found in him. Mm. And the life that has been created out of what could have been a real tra- tragic life is beautiful. How And oh, um, And that, that's also, I guess, spawned other passions, which are how do I restore? You know, like I come from Africa. There's a change that has happened in Africa. And I felt this four years ago when I went back there. Mm. Um, there's a, there's a, a fresh wind that's coming in terms of how, like the technological advances there, the, mm. even some governments changing, but mainly in the way that people are now connected. They're no longer necessarily held back by their ability to be connected to the rest of the world. Now it's just the case of how do we rapidly upskill their education. And one of my big passions is how, like I'm a, I'm a designer working for a quantum control company, right? Mm. There are people in Africa that are expected to be farmers.
0: Mm.
1: what if they wanted to be a designer? Mm. What if they wanted to be an engineer? What if there was an African cult, like um, like a Malawian style for architecture? Mm. We will never know because they never get the opportunity to explore that. Yeah, wow. So for me, that's something that, as is a change in access to resources, a growing middle class throughout Africa, Yeah. how do we allow them not to be carbon copies of... Us,
0: their environment, but yeah. to be
1: freed to be who God made them to
0: be—that's extraordinary. Right. That, that's what I find is like once you find Christ and and come to this realization of your life having purpose and significance, you can't help wanting to tell someone else. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of the joy of it is 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 sharing it. Um, this has been incredible. Thank you so much, <laughs> no Jamie. For sharing your life and your story and uh I, I know that it would have impacted lots of people that are listening mm-hmm. today i want to thank everyone that has joined us and um yeah look forward to catching up with you soon